0: morning. Glad to be here with you again. Uh, My name's Steve Smith. I'm one of the elders here at Gray Road. For those of you who might be visiting this morning, um, I am not the main guy. Uh, Toby's not preaching this morning, but I am preaching once a month right now as we prepare for our our church plant. Let's... uh, Let's go to the Lord. Lord, we come in your presence this morning to hear from you, to hear your words. To hear your voice, to hear your message, and as a group of people before a holy God. we recognize our brokenness and our desperate need for your grace in our lives as the body of Christ here at Grey Road we pray for those who are in our midst this morning who are lost in their sin. Who are spiritually dead, spiritually blind, living in rebellion against their Creator. That your spirit... Would rain down on this place and open blind eyes and replace hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. Meet us here this morning through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite you guys to open your Bibles up to the book of Judges. The book of Judges, for those of you who are with us for the first time this morning, we are on a journey through the Scriptures, and we are following the, the storyline of the Bible, and one of our goals as we have, have been doing this study is that you would be able to, to find your, your bearing no matter where you land in Scripture, that you would be able to read those texts, that you would be able to read the book of Judges, that you would be able to read the book of Ruth, the two books we're looking at this morning. That you would be able to read the prophets and the Psalms and the history books and know why they're there. And know how they contribute to the significant message of the Bible, which is Christ crucified. And that's my goal this morning. We're going to take a few minutes and look at Judges, and Ruth, and obviously can't dig very deep. But my hope is, is as we look at these two books, that you will see the the line that goes through these two books where you can go home and you can read Judges and understand why it's there and what the Holy Spirit of God is communicating to us through that book. And the same thing with Ruth. By way of reminder, I want to remind you where we've been. We've looked at the progressive revelation of God. We looked at creation in the very beginning. That Almighty God, the sovereign King of the universe, made you and me. We have to start there. You are a creature. I am a creature. And we were created by God for a purpose. Your life exists for the glory of the Creator. We have to start there. Then we looked at Genesis 3 through 6. We looked at the fall. We saw man's rebellion against God. We saw the consequences of sin in the world, the curses of sin coming into the world, the the pains and the struggles of life that are a result of sin, the fact that we all die a result of sin, the hatred and conflict in the world that we see every day of our life as a result of sin. But right there in Genesis chapter 3, we see the beginning. We see the beginning of hope, when God says I will put enmity between me between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we learn right there in Genesis 3:15 that God's solution to sin is going to be a human being. A baby. We looked into the call of Abraham. And honestly, Genesis chapter 12 is the key to understanding the entire Bible. God calls Abraham and says, Go from your country and your kindred and go to your father's house and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And here is the key statement of the entire Old Testament. In you, in your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. We learn... In Genesis 12 through 17, that the Savior will be a circumcised descendant of Abraham. We've seen the growth of the nation of Israel. God makes the same, pri- the same promise to Isaac. It's to Isaac, not Ishmael. Through Isaac, all the uh, through Isaac's offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Then we learned that it's through Jacob that all the nations of the earth. Will be blessed. Jacob later named Israel. So now we know that the Savior of the world will be an Israelite. We've seen the Exodus, we've seen God's preeminent act of redemption in the Old Testament and delivering His people from their bondage to slavery. We see the Passover lamb. Now we know that the Savior will be a deliverer from bondage, and He will be a Passover lamb. We've seen the giving of the law in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. God displays His holiness and what His holiness requires of His people. Now we know the Savior of the world will be holy and the Savior will be a priest. You see the line. The line is consistent, and all of Scripture points ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, Toby spoke of the conquest of the land in Joshua and the division of the inheritance among the people of God. This week, we're going to look at Judges and Ruth. And here's what I want you to see as we look at these two books briefly. What I want you to see is that our holy God continues to be faithful to unfaithful people. Our holy God continues to be faithful to unfaithful people. If you take your Bibles, flip one page back into Joshua 24, and I want to look at this quickly. The context of Judges comes directly after the life of Joshua. And during the life of Joshua, the Israelites have had great success in their conquest of the land. In Joshua chapter 24, the leader of Israel, Joshua, knows that he is about to die. And it's really a very similar conversation uh, as the conversation that Moses has with the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 28 through Deuteronomy chapter 30. But let's look at this together. Look at verse 14. uh, Joshua looks at the Israelites and says this. Now, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now listen to the response of the people. The people answer Joshua, and they say, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight. And preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. This is what they say they testify to the greatness of God. They've seen His miraculous works on their behalf over and over and over and over again. They've listened to the stories of their parents and grandparents who were a part of the exodus. They know. They were the people that walked across the Jordan River on dry ground and God sent hornets before them to take cities before they even got there. They saw it all. And Joshua's calling these people to account and said, Choose this day whom you will serve. And all the nation of Israel is saying, We will serve the Lord. Listen to Joshua's response in verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord. You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn away and do harm to you and consume you after having done you good. And here it is, the people said again, no, no, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua says to them, you are witnesses against God. Yourself, And what I want us to see as we kind of delve through the book of Judges is the fickleness of human beings. The unfaithfulness of human beings. So God's command was this. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16. I want to read it to you. In the cities of these people that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete and total destruction the Hittites, and the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded. And why, why must you devote them to complete and total destruction, so that they may not teach you according to all their deeds, according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their God, and so you sin against the Lord your God. God's command to the Israelites in Deuteronomy and what they were doing in the book of Joshua under the righteous leadership of Joshua was to eradicate these wicked nations. One commentator says this is that the reason Yahweh repeatedly gives for the extermination of the Canaanites. The Canaanites is that their judge is that it's their judgment for sin and rebellion against him. The Canaanites, as a whole culture, committed sins of idolatry, holy temple, prostitution, adultery, homosexuality, incest, murder, bestiality, gang rape, and child sacrifice. Though other cultures also participated in some of these practices, it was widespread involvement and acceptance of these sins that brought the Canaanites under Yahweh's judgment. These sins exist in every culture then and now, but are forbidden by most governments and are socially condemned by the majority of people in the culture. However, in Canaanite culture, these sins were pretty much universally practiced, and accepted because this is what their gods were like. Not only did they declare these acts as morally righteous, but they also participated in these acts in acts of worship to their God as a a means of gaining their God's approval. This is why God's judgment was coming against them. So let's open to Judges, Judges chapter 1. The commandment was given. The Israelites said, we will serve and obey the Lord. And in Judges chapter 1, let's look in verse 17. Judges chapter 1, verse 17. And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites who inhabited Zephthah and devoted it to destruction. So the name of the city was called Hormah. Judah also captured Gaza with its territory and Ashkelon with its territory and Ekron with its territory. And the Lord was with Judah and he took possession of the hill country. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. You see in Joshua they had victory after victory after victory after victory. They devoted people to destruction throughout the entire book. They devoted, uh, let me see here, you can read in Joshua devoted to destruction in 621 in chapter 7, verse 12, chapter 8, verse 26, Ai's devoted to destruction. Chapter 10, verse 28, devoted to destruction. 1035, devoted to destruction. 1037, 1039, 1040, 1112, 1120, 1121. And all of these texts, the Israelites, under the leadership of Joshua, faithful and obedient to devote the enemies of God to destruction. Here we get to Judges chapter 1, and they fail. they fail. The text says they could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had iron chariots. In verse 21, the people of Benjamin failed to drive out the Jebusite. In verse 27, Manasseh failed. In verse 29, Ephraim fails. In verse 30, Zebulun fails. In verse 31, Asher fails. In verse 33, Naphtali fails. In verse 34, Dan fails. They all fail. Now here's the question. When they began the battle, and they fought with these Canaanites, and they couldn't drive them out because of the chariots of iron, what should the faithful people of God done? What was the commandment? Purge the land. Those who feared the Lord, what would they do? I think they would cry out to God. I think they would say something like, You are the God who delivered us from the hand of Pharaoh. You are the God who split the Red Sea and allowed us to walk across the Red Sea before the armies of Pharaoh on dry ground. You are the God who fed us and sustained us and didn't even let our shoes wear out for 40 years in the wilderness. And that God can take care of these chariots. That didn't happen. Instead, the text says, Look at verse 33. They lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. And toward the end of the verse, and they became subject to forced labor for them. Instead of driving them out, they enslaved them. God's response is in chapter 2, the end of verse 1. I brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? I will not drive them out before you. But they shall become thorns in your thighs, and their gods shall be a snare to you. You know, when they made that commitment with Joshua in Joshua 24, they were experiencing victory after victory after victory after victory victory. under the conquering, mighty leadership of Joshua. They were seeing the power of God day after day after day after day. And the moment that challenges arise, they buckle. You know, guys, we as Christians, as those who know the Lord, we learn what we really believe in the fire. we learn what we really believe in darkness. I say it like this, what we say in the sunshine is a lot different than what we do in the storm. I've learned that from personal experience. I know there's many people in this room right now that are facing challenges and trials and difficulty not expected. But brothers and sisters, let us be reminded that what we really believe about the nature of God, what we really believe about who He is, what we really believe about the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we really believe about the hope of eternity, what we really believe about heaven, is displayed in the storms, in the darkness, And Israel failed. As I think about the objective that God gave to the Israelites, church, what is our objective? The objective of the church of Jesus Christ is to make disciples of all nations, to make disciples everywhere we go, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded. That is the mission. That is the purpose of Gray Road Baptist Church. Every believer in this building... Your job before God is to make disciples of your neighbors, to make disciples of your co workers, to make disciples of your family members, your children, your parents. That's the objective, that's the mission. And I'll move on with this question. How faithful are we being? The Israelites were unfaithful in uh, conquest. They're also unfaithful in discipleship. Unfaithful in discipleship. Look at Judges chapter 2. In verse 10. All that generation, all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. How is that possible? How could these people experience these divine deliverances of God over and over and over and over again and fail to communicate the gracious power of God toward them to their children? It's not, the text doesn't say that they just didn't know the Lord. They did not know the Lord or the work that he had done. Listen to what God says to the Israelites Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gaze. What's he saying? He's saying the commands of the Lord and the works of the Lord should be in front of you every single moment of every single day. Teach them diligently to your children. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give your father, by thrusting out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has promised. And then he says this, When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of these testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your children, we were the Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. He brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statues, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. How could the very next generation not know the works of God? They didn't obey Deuteronomy chapter 6. Those parents went to sacrifices, and those parents gave tithes, and those parents gave offerings, but at the end of the day, when they were at home, their kids looked at their parents, and what they saw were unfaithful Israelites. That's what they saw. And when their parents died, it was done. Brothers and sisters, do your children and your grandchildren know the mighty works of God in your life? Do they know what God has done in you? Do your children and grandchildren know the power of the gospel in your life? Do your children and grandchildren know what you were like before the gospel changed you? Have you told them and displayed to them the magnificence of grace Toward you as a broken sinner. We cannot we cannot be passive in discipling our children. Our children and our grandchildren need to know. From the course of our life, that God is God, and that Christ is worthy of everything, and that the pleasures of this world are fleeting. The stuff of this world is going to to rust and be destroyed. Brothers and sisters, be faithful in that. Be faithful in that. The result of this uh, unfaithful conquest, this unfaithful discipleship, is unfaithful worship. Unfaithful worship. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work the Lord had done. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them, and they bowed down to them. Verse 13. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baal and the Ashtaroth. Unfaithful conquest, unfaithful discipleship led to unfaithful idolatry, unfaithful worship within the camp of Israel. And brothers and sisters, before we move on, we have to be careful. We don't live in a world, right? We don't live in a world where there's, you know, statues set up on the corner and and idol temples and all that kind of stuff. We live in a different world. In our world, we live in a world of idols of the heart, idols of pursuit. In the discipleship of our children, In the the honoring of God in our lives, we cannot overcome idolatry of the heart. We cannot show Christ here and then show that what really matters to us over here is this stuff and these things and this pleasure and whatever it is. It cannot be that way. It cannot. What are our life goals? What are we striving after right now? What does this communicate about what matters to us? These are all important questions. They have to be asked and they have to be answered. Let's move on. So we've seen the unholy people. We've seen the unfaithful Israelites. Let's look at the faithful God. The holy God is faithful. In Judges chapter 2, verse 14, um, the anger of the Lord is kindled against Israel. He gives them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies the holy and faithful God disciplines his people and is this not exactly is this not exactly what God said he would do if they turned to foreign gods brothers and sisters let us not forget that God disciplines his children. Look at verse 16. We see God being merciful to his people. Verse 16. So They cry out to God. They're in terrible distress. Verse 15. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. And they soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. And whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. Why? Because the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But, whenever the judge died, the people turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, and bowing down to them. And folks, this is the message of the entire book of Judges. God sends a judge. The judge delivers the people from their consequences of sin, from their judgment. They live in a period of peace and safety. They live in a period of blessing. The judge dies. The people are more corrupt than the generation before them. God has to judge those people again. Those people go under discipline. Those people go under the oppression of the peoples around them. They cry out to God, God, please deliver us. God has pity on their groaning. He sends a judge over and over and over and over again. What do we learn? Guys, what do we learn as we read the book of Judges? Human beings are fickle and unfaithful, but God is not. Remember, the key to the whole Old Testament is a promise that God made to Abraham through you, Abraham. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. Why is God being faithful to them? Why is God showing mercy to them over and 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 over again? Does that sound like anybody's life in here? Over and over and over Guys, I've experienced pain like I've never experienced pain in my life in the last three weeks. And there was a point I was laying on the floor, I was hurting so bad, that all I could do was I was counting seconds. I was going one, two, three, four, five. All right, I made it. Do it again. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, made it. Do it again. And in that night, in that darkest moment, I failed. I was crying out to God. Lord, I want to worship you right now. I want to honor you with all my heart right now. But all I can think about right now is just getting through the next five seconds. That's how fickle I am. But God is merciful, and He's merciful to Israel. And this is what the book of Ruth is about. Quickly, the message of Ruth, the book of Ruth takes place in this context. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, the Scripture says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. And this historian is telling the story of this Moabite widow, Ruth. And this this happened in the context of the judges when there's famine in Israel. Why is there famine in Israel? Because Israel's gone apostate. They're an unfaithful, idolatrous people. But in the midst of it, right there in the middle of it, comes Ruth. And Ruth is the story of a widow. A Moabite widow. The Moabites were a nation descended from Lot. Their land was on the southeast border of Israel. The Moabites caused major problems for Israel by their idolatry and leading Israel into all manner of wickedness and sin. The Moabites fought against Israel David, when he became king, fought against the Moabites. The Moabites were the enemies. The Moabites were the outcasts. The Moabites were the, the foreign, wicked nation. That's the Moabites. You see, Ruth was one of the enemies, Ruth was an outsider. Ruth was one of those people. But here in Ruth, we see a woman who loves. And we see a woman who who trusted in God. While the entire nation of Israel is going apostate, here's this Moabite woman who trusts in the Lord. She says to her mother-in-law, your God will be my." Another beautiful aspect of this book is the Redeemer. God provides a Redeemer for Ruth, a destitute widow, an outsider. God provides a Redeemer for Ruth from Bethlehem, a righteous Israelite named Boaz, to rescue this helpless, desperate woman. And as beautiful as all of this is, as beautiful as, all, as beautiful as all of this is, this is not the main point of Ruth. This is not the thrust of Ruth. The thrust of Ruth is found in Ruth chapter 4. Turn there. Ruth chapter 4. While the whole story of Ruth is this beautiful picture of faith and grace and redemption, it's not the main point. The main point is this, is that the grace and redemption found in Ruth leads to a baby. It leads to a baby. You see, Ruth and Boaz have a baby. Remember what God said to Abraham? Through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, this road leads straight to Bethlehem. And in Ruth, chapter 4, verse 17... Ruth had just had a child. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. You see, the author of Ruth is telling us an incredible story about the line of David. The fact that Ruth is a Moabite is mentioned 14 times in this book. Why? Why does the author of Ruth keep saying the Moabite, the Moabite, the lady from Moab, 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 the Moabite? The line from which the Jewish Messiah would come, the line from which King David and King Solomon would ascend to their throne, would come, from the womb of a poor widowed begging gleaning outcast but redeemed that that's the message it didn't matter where she came from what mattered was what she believed She had the faith of Abraham. She forsook all her gods and chose to follow the one true God. And every Jewish person who would come back to read this history book would have to read that story and know the entire nation of Israel was unfaithful, but here was a faithful woman. And what God's doing in this world, not just for us, what He's doing is for the whole world. This child that's coming, this offspring of Abraham is for people from every people, tongue, tribe, and nation. The same rings true today, brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter what the circumstances of our life are, It doesn't matter how much money we have. It doesn't matter where we came from. It doesn't matter the color of our skin. It doesn't matter how intelligent we are. It doesn't matter how educated we are. It doesn't matter the sins that we have committed up to this point. It does not matter where you have been and where you have come from. What matters? 100% is the object of our faith. Christ. The Son of God. If you're out there and you do not believe the gospel, maybe you're sitting there thinking, I've done too much. If you only knew what I've done. is a lie. The words of the scriptures are, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Christians, we need to remember that, where sin increases, grace increases all the more. We need to know that our merciful God who has saved us, has saved us through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And we must ask ourselves, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, when we are faithless, he's still faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. And I'll finish with this. As we experience the mercy of God every single day of our life, we cannot forget that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. You know what? Israel was pretty fickle. But we can be pretty fickle too, can't we? And aren't we glad that God is not like us? I am. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. we are we are just humble and in awe of the mercy that you show us every day, the compassion that you have on us as frail, sinful people, and the love that you have displayed for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Give grace to us as a church to be a lighthouse of this incredible message of mercy to this world that desperately needs it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.